Hi everybody, Rob from the Hooked On podcast, How To Be Great here. Look, we enjoy doing what we do, for the love of it, it's wrestling, enjoy it, remember? But if you do feel like dropping us a few quid to help us out, be our guest. We don't expect it, but we will appreciate it. Thanks ever so much for your support. Don't forget, it's wrestling, enjoy it. Welcome once again to the Hooked On Podcast. It's great to be back with you. I'm Robert Nickel, and with me is my, uh, as usual, my friend and colleague and my co-host on the show, Paul Benson. How's it going, Paul? Yeah, good, Rob. Good. Thank you. How are you? Very well indeed. Um, I've gone in with the uh, friend and colleague remark early in there because uh, I have a feeling we're going to fall out in this podcast later on when it gets on to uh, one or two other topics, and you know what I mean. Um, coming up, we'll, uh, Paul and I will have a little chat about the... Uh, the NXT and their backlash shows uh, from the weekend. Uh, but first of all, uh, we're going to introduce our guest uh, straight from the top here. Someone with uh, Paul and I have both known for quite a long time. Never had him on this pod- uh, this guest, uh, this podcast before, but I'm very excited to uh, be speaking to him again. And I'll introduce all these various roles in a minute, but uh, let's bring him on first. From Impact Wrestling, it's Jeremy Borash. How are you doing? How are you doing, JB? Rob, Paul, great, guys. Always a pleasure. I've known you both for a long time. I was just thinking about that. Right? We've, we've gone back a few years here, Colin. So, uh, great to finally be on the show. Hope you guys are doing well. Um, and, uh, yeah, ready. Excited for it. Yeah, so she, I think it would be uh, me and you were the first met at the first uh, UK tour. So, that would have been 2008, I think, June 2008, I want to wow. say. Wow. So How about it's, that? That's yeah, a long old time. What about you, Paul? It was probably about the same time. I remember JB and I met with Simon Rothstein in some dodgy pub in the uh, in the West End prior to a fan party, plotting mm-hmm. uh, plotting how we're going to do it. And I, uh, yeah, firm friends from there. Yes, and Paul and I hit it off very quickly. And I think it might have been our love of draft beer. Oh, mate! Next time you're <laughs> over, next time I see you, I've got some new discoveries for you. <laughs> That's the last thing I need right now. But I will <laughs> gladly take it. I'll gladly take your offer. There's something there's something very nicely English about the way I can take this, which is that uh, I think the first thing that uh, you and I bonded over, JB, was talking about darts. I think it was the, you know you were the first oh, yeah. f- first American that I'd heard who um, wanted Phil the Power Taylor to come onto a, a wrestling show, and we're very excited about it. That's how we uh, first clicked <laughs> there. And all those years later, then it was uh, Impact Wrestling and then Bullseye. Who'd have thought it? Yeah, who knew? Who knew? I don't know what. I mean, darts got me really like a lot. Well, I know what it was. I was actually stuck there. I was stuck over Christmas uh, in the UK uh, at the time. I was working for Andrew McManus, who ran the World Wrestling All-Stars. And uh, uh, just recollecting this story for the first time in years. But I think um, we were going to spend Christmas in the UK together, right? Mm -hmm. And he actually, Christmas Eve or the day before he decided or or was invited to go spend two days because he was trying to uh, sign Randy Savage. Okay. Okay, so this is how this kind of all came about. And so he goes, you know what? Uh, I got to leave. You stay here. I'll come back before Christmas. Uh, and I'm going to go hang out with Macho Man for a couple days. You just stay here. I'll take care of your hotel. And, and when I come back, we'll go do something uh, for New Year's Eve somewhere. And uh, so at that point, McManus went to Florida and hung out with Randy Savage. I don't know what happened there, but apparently it was pretty crazy. <laughs> and, um, and, and Andrew never came back. So I was stuck in uh, I was stuck in Kensington over Christmas by myself, which was fine. 
but I remember at that point, what do you turn on the television? You just you basically have uh, you know a couple channels at that point. This was 2001, 2000, uh, 2002. And uh, I just got hooked on the darts at that point. I was watching that, and I, I said, what is this guy saying? What is this announcer doing? Where's this 180 coming from? You know, all this. I got fascinated with it. And to this day, I still love it. And uh, I've been to Alley Pally, I think, the last six years in a row uh, during the the, uh, the World Finals. Uh, so I'm a, I love it. And I, lo- I know a lot of the darts guys now. Got to got to meet a lot of them. Uh, and they're all very cool. And, uh, you know, like a lot of wrestling fans in, the, in that crowd, too. So it's always fun. I, it's to me, it's the best spectator sport there is right now, uh, and it's not. Uh, it's only something I show a lot of people in America for the first time. And they go, "What?" I remember I showed Mick Foley the first time. I just pulled it up. I said, "Look at this," and he was fascinated by it because it's it parallels a lot of wrestling and presentation stuff. Absolutely does. Um, and sure. uh, and I think that's what people you know people really love it. It's kind of sort of bounced on the line really from. Um... Uh, boxing presentation in the States, you know, with, with Michael Buffer and the whole Let's Get Ready to Rumble thing, which then bled into British boxing through Barry Hearn, who, own, who own, owns the darts. And I think that's how it all bled through. But um, all of our mutual friend, uh, Joel Ross, Joel often refers to darts as being more wrestling than wrestling in its presentation <laughs> of just a head to head and its, you know, nicknames and the entrances and, the, you know, the characters and, and all, that, all that kind of thing. And uh, um, indeed, um, someone else we all know, Paul Nicholson, I met for the first time at a, at a TNA show back in the day, and he got to uh, have some fun with uh, being in Bobby Roode's corner on the uh, on the tour one time. I remember. So yeah, lots of lots of parallels, but uh, lots of good fun. Yeah, lots of good friends. I'm still uh, very good friends with Paul to this day, and uh, he always keeps me up on what's going on uh, in the darting world, which I love. And uh, you know, it just as far it just was, a, 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 you know, a natural extension of uh, my love for British culture is. You know that's a big part of it, and uh, that's that's something very unique to not just Brit, you know, not just England anymore or the UK, but it's uh, you know obviously a lot of Europe. So uh, it's just something we don't have any sign of in America. There's no rhyme or reason for it, but it's just not popular here at all. Uh, so it's just one of those wow, this is kind of a very cool cultural sport that something like nowhere else on earth. Well, there's a gap in the market there for you. You're someone that's ahead of the curve with these things. If I ever see darts breaking the U- uh, the, uh, the U.S., I'll know that it's you that's responsible for it. Um, I actually gonna... looked into it at one point because uh, the to- – what is it called? My bad. I can't remember. The, the huge travel company, Thompson uh, – Thomas Thomas Cook? Th- Thomas Cook, yeah. Thomas Cook. Uh, we talked with him about doing a darts event in Florida because there's so many Brits there that vacation during the summer and, and come over to, to Orlando in that area where we are. So – uh, we actually looked at it, but, you know, uh, I don't know if America is ready for it. It's just one of those things that's ingrained in the culture, more with the pubs, and everybody plays it. So it's it's a cultural thing, whereas in America here, you're, you're hard-pressed to find a dartboard anywhere. So it's kind of one of those things, eh, I don't know if it would work here, but I certainly think America could get behind that type of presentation one way or another. When you never know, one day, one day. Now, I'm going to go to, uh, quick, quickly here, I'm going to go to the um, the Oracle uh, that is Wikipedia and just very quickly read off of here's the list this is what it says that you are okay JB oh it boy. says okay. you are an American professional wrestling play-by-play commentator announcer ring announcer booker interviewer producer and website designer I don't wow. think I don't think that covers everything even that with that long list I'm not sure that covers everything that you do but talk about we had Steve Linsky on a few weeks ago and I called him the wrestling polymath because he's into so many different uh, strands of the business but uh, I think uh, you rival and even surpass him for that well, if I can surpass Linsky in any category, I think that's a victory. You know, <laughs> Linsky. Uh, yeah, they, well, you know what? You, you hang around long enough, they'll, they'll saddle you with any job. So uh, I've been at Impact for 15 years now, you know, obviously from the start. And you, over the course of time, you know, somebody leaves, you got to take their job, and, 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 and you don't have 
take the job. You take the responsibilities. Uh, and a lot of times until that job is filled, and that's kind of when, you know, somehow uh, it's been saddled, saddled with me. So I've gotten to learn a lot of different things over the course of time, and it, it also keeps it interesting. I don't think I can do the same thing for 15 years and not get completely uh, bored out of my mind. I, I've got to kind of be doing different stuff at all times. So uh, well, that's the cool thing about Impact is, you know, we have affiliations with promotions. So I'm working with The Crash a promotion in Tijuana. I'm working with AAA uh, in Mexico. We're doing stuff with Pro Wrestling Noah in Japan. Uh, so between that, and uh, I do a lot of work for uh, for a celebrity chef here in America. So between that, I get a good variety of, of things to you know kind of keep me keep me afloat creatively. Uh, yes, celebrity chef, as you point out, Robert Irvin, who's uh, married to Gail Kim, of course. So there's another really little uh, wrestling connection there. There it is. Yeah, absolutely. It is huge in America. He's from uh, Manchester, but is uh, far bigger in America than he is in England. So uh, although I, I hear they're running his show constantly on on the Food Network here in the UK, so. Uh, you know that'll change, I'm sure, with time. But yeah, he's he's huge in America. So uh, through Gail Kim, uh, he started coming to some of our live uh, house shows and and said uh, approached me about hosting his live tour. So got to do that. Got to do Jr. this last Sunday. Hosted his shows, uh, which is a lot of fun. So uh, I get to work with some great people, very talented people. And yeah, look, can I just say that uh, Jr. has to get gets to work with some good people as well because only uh, only the very best get to host Jr. shows. Can I just say that? <laughs> is, oh, is this a, did you have a prior gig? I didn't know that. Uh, no, I, I did. JR's first um, first ever spoken word things were over here in the UK, and I hosted them over here. So it was. Uh, oh, all right. So that well, was, then uh, we're a good company. Indeed, <laughs> indeed. Now, listen. We talked about that uh, that list of all those different things that's uh, that's on your CV according to uh, the Great Wikipedia. But uh, I want to ask: this, there's some rumours knocking around that we might have to uh, to add the word wrestler onto the end of that. What, what do we think about that? Is that can we talk about that? <laughs> Don't want to ever do that. Don't want to ever have that listed next to I don't ever want to wrestle. The times I have gotten involved physically uh, have not ended up being good for me. Uh, my body is not conditioned to do this stuff, nor should anyone who doesn't, uh, who isn't properly trained ever compete uh, or try and think they can do what these guys do in the ring. I am certainly the uh, example of that. Uh, every time I've done stuff physically, I end up getting hurt somehow. Uh, <laughs> so... I am not ever wanted to be known as a wrestler. What those guys do is far more amazing than anything I could ever hope to do physically. Uh, so I think labeling, uh, putting that next to my name is a gross uh, misservice to anyone who actually does it professionally. That is, that's fair enough. But just if, uh, <laughs> if that Matthews guy needed putting in his place at any time soon, that's all I'm saying. <laughs> I can throw a punch. I can throw a punch. Uh, uh, however, I think if I, you know, here's what's going to happen. It's Slammiversary, uh, and you're going to see this... Uh, you know, Friday on uh, on Spike in the UK is uh, we challenged Josh Matthews to go find a tag team partner, and he you know responds with a guy I never thought we would ever see, uh, and that of course is going to be a big Papa Pump Scott Steiner. So uh, <laughs> do not miss this uh, episode of Impact because it was uh, it was certainly an eye opening uh, experience, and you could really see how fast I can run, uh, can I Matt, because I run. So it's uh, you're going to be in the same ring at some point with Scott Steiner. Can I just say it's been lovely knowing you. Um. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> I, it was yes. It it was. Uh, I have my full will uh, written out. Uh, I want to say I want to call all my loved ones before the match. Uh, but yeah, it's gonna be. I'm gonna be very nervous, man. It's it's gonna be live pay per view. So. Can I just uh, jump in with a quick story here that sprung to mind as soon as I heard you were getting in the ring with him? I remember one of the first um, TNA tours I did. Maybe it was like 2009, 10, something like that. I was kicking around before the show. And I just so happened to get chatting to a chap called Consequences Creed, which most people will probably know better now as one third of the New Day, Xavier Woods. Yes. Um, 
it was pretty much brand new to wrestling and to impact at the time and we were just chatting chat you know chatting away and i said you know who, who are you facing tonight and his face just dropped and he said scott steiner <laughs> and I said, what's, what's wrong? What's wrong? He goes, he goes, and I still remember this day. He goes, he's going to effing kill me, man. He's going yeah. to. Yeah. <laughs> nobody gets excited. Nobody nobody comes yeah. to the, the show that's wrestling on the show and gets excited when they see their name on the board next to Scott Stein. Nobody. <laughs> um, yeah, and that's, uh, that's a reputation uh, well deserved. He's uh, He doesn't mess around in there. When, when when the inevitable happens, JB, can we inherit your mic gear? Because we could really do with an upgrade. Yeah, uh, I'll be, I'll be, you know, I'm going to be giving, uh, I'm going to be just kind of dealing all my stuff out uh, long before uh, <laughs> before this match happens. So yeah, you guys are going to get part of that. I'm going to make sure you're taken care of uh, and looked after. That's what I want that to be my legacy. I want to leave behind stuff, you know. <laughs> That'd be nice. That's very kind. Uh, we should we should point out that um, uh, Slammiversary is uh, July the second. That's right, isn't it? July the second. It's July the second. I believe it's I believe it's airing the next. I don't know this, but I believe it's airing the next night on Spike. Yes, um, I think it's something I like believe. that. Yeah. I think it is. So like yeah, that. check your check your listings for that. So UK, you guys are are uh, are treated to the show free, whereas everybody in America is going to have to spend, uh, spend uh, thirty five bucks. So that's kind of cool, uh, and that's uh, that's kind of the cool deal we have with Spike uh, in the UK is uh, they well, broadcast our pay-per-views and Explosion and Impact, so it's great. I'm really looking forward to it, you know, and it's you know it's really great to see the fact that, that Impact has come back all kicking or dancing now this year. You know, obviously I've got a I've got a, a long legacy with what was TNA and now is Impact. You know, it's a massive part of my career. It's such a shame to see last year when it looked like it was sailing really close to the wind like, I thought you guys were done um, and to see it come back so strongly is phenomenal and you you will almost be pretty proud of what you've achieved yeah and I you know what what's weird about it maybe it's just because I've seen so many things and I've heard we've been going out of business since the first week we started so uh, I did no point ever thought it was actually going to end I mean, maybe, I, maybe I'm just naive <laughs> um, but it's just kind of one of those things like, well, you know what? I have a feeling we're going to get through this. And yeah, it was, you never, here's the thing. You never want to, as juicy and as salacious and as uh, whatever you, however you want to label it, uh, as the events that happened were and sometimes continue to happen behind the scenes. Um, the one, the, the disservice in that is that it takes away from the boys, I think, from the mm -hmm. show, uh, the hard work that they, they do. Uh, you know, and when you're out there busting your ass and physically walking around in pain for a for a TV show and all the attention is focused on, you know, what kind of BS is going on in the courtroom. Uh, it's a real disservice. And, and, you know, I, I, uh, it kind of rubs me the wrong way, just that it's, that's the topic of conversation versus what should be the topic of conversation, which is the, the incredible show we're doing. So, uh, in that case, that's to me the worst part about it and anything that happens, whether, you know, uh, whether it's that or whether it's the Hardy stuff or whatever that takes away from the attention of the show. I think that's just, I'm not for that in any way, no matter what it is. No matter what the crusade is, or or who's fighting what. No, that's um, exactly very smart. Yeah, I think that's uh, a good way of looking at things. And we we need to um, very quickly address that one of the reasons you um, uh, were going to come on and, and chat to us today was that it was going to be uh, a back to the old days TNA fan party on uh, on on Friday, which was uh, going to be very exciting. And uh, unfortunately, um, it was going to be in Manchester with all the events that have gone on this week. Um, I think. You know the, the sensible decisions has, has been made to. Uh, it's not really the time to party, but I'm sure it'll be back uh, back again in the future. But um, just just quickly on that kind of thing, um, JB, the UK has always been such a. I mean, it's not been just a lip service thing that, that it could be. It's been such a second home for for Impact over the years. I imagine that rekindling that um, that relationship would be uh, something that's quite high on the agenda, is it? 
Yeah, it certainly is. You know, and I've made no secret about it. My uh, my love for the UK. The interesting thing about Manchester Arena, uh, and I was actually just kind of looking over some some uh, dates and stuff. From I have actually hosted more shows in the Manchester Arena than any other place in my career. Uh, wow. Yeah. So we, I, I think we went there two or three times with with. Uh, McManus uh, in 2001, 2002. I think we went there. I'm not sure. Two, two times. I think. I don't know how many times we've been there for Impact now, but it's. Uh, I just know that that's that's one arena I am very comfortable in, and it's one of my favorite arenas, uh, you know, in the world. That and Wembley uh, are two of my favorites. So, um, yeah, real shocking. I, I was just looking. I had a. I did like an in-depth backstage tour of of the Manchester Arena uh, like two years ago. We have it up on YouTube. Uh, it's just kind of eerie to watch that now and, and just know that that's that arena is like uh, you know a second home to me. So it really that really hit home and it was just ugh. I've had a really can I tell you something kind of strange? This is I have a little bit of a black cloud I think or I, you can look at it either way. Either I'm very lucky or very unlucky. Uh, I was in Paris, okay, the night of the terrorist attacks there. I was there. I was a, a half mile from everything. Uh, one of the uh. scariest nights of my life. And then. Uh, I was about a half mile away from the Orlando nightclub shooting, like that night. Oh, uh, wow. and, you know, and now I'm, I'm supposed to be in Manchester on right, yeah. So kind of a uh, some of this stuff's really hitting home. Like on a wow, you know, especially if you're just in the vicinity of it all and you get to see it all uh, in the aftermath of it. Just terribly sad. So yeah, it really is. Uh, this this Manchester. I mean, obviously, so many things about it. Awful, uh, you know, just and it hit home for so many people. So, yeah, as far as the, the fan party and everything, we're going to come back and, and throw a real good party when everyone's maybe in a better mood to party. Uh, but right now, I think the attention needs to be on, on the victims of this and, and uh, obviously uh, getting through it and, and making sure that there's, uh, you know, the proper respects are paid. So, but, you know, we're going to just do it, you know, hopefully very, very soon, a couple months down the road, maybe we'll reschedule it. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, so it's terrible, terrible, terrible event. I think, I think that's a sensible decision. I think on one hand you, you're tempted to say, you know, don't let them win and let's carry on regardless. But at the same time, you know, it won't be quite the same, will it? I mean, like, like you said, it's, everyone wouldn't be feeling the uh, feeling the emotion and, and be in the right place. Yeah, and the, and the event was going to be like a half mile or a mile from the from the arena too. So just like, um, yeah, just around, just around the corner, like within, yeah, you know, within spitting distance. Just, just literally, you can you can see the. Uh, See the arena from the printwork, so it's yeah, it's uh, that that close. So um, um, I'm worried that we you talk about having a black cloud. I'm worried that there's a bit of a, a combination between us, because yeah, I was coming to Manchester on Friday for uh, for the fan party, and I actually I walked over Westminster Bridge a day before the, uh, the attack, oh, the attack that took place uh, there earlier in the year. So this is all a little bit spooky. But let's talk about yeah. some um, happier things and some happier uh, times yes. and moments. Um, Paul and I later on in the in the podcast are going to have a little bit of a chat about uh, some matters um, WWE UK. Um, but something I want to point out is that um, TNA's push into into the UK, both um, bringing in some wrestlers, and I'm thinking people like Doug Williams and Magnus and and others, you know, Rob Terry from that British Invasion days, and then plenty of others all the way through. I won't list everyone because I'll forget people. But you know, all the way through to the present day. Um, but not only that, but um, things like British Boot Camp, which was something that you know, t- to my mind, was you know, pretty much Jeremy Borash inspired and, and driven. Um, you know, it's WWE have realised there's a market here a little bit belatedly, really, in terms of what they can do UK specific. I think TNA and indeed you were were on that several years ago. I think would that be fair to say? Yeah, I mean, I would actually pitch moving the company over there. Uh, <laughs> you know, five years ago. So uh, I don't think you. I think if and it's it is interesting that it's kind of all happening now, and I'm kind of like, well, you know, this was you guys. <laughs> we were doing this five years ago. 
Um, so it's, yeah, I mean, obviously different things inspire different business practices and whatnot, but I'd like to think that maybe we were a little bit ahead of the ball there on that and, and, uh, you know, realizing what was there in the UK. And if you look at, you know, if you look at just even the top, uh, whatever it was, the top 10 or top 12 qualifiers in British boot camp, you know, what they're all doing now, uh, has been, has been very interesting to watch. You know, you've got, uh, Nikki Cross, uh, in NXT, a huge part of the show, Noam Dar, obviously a huge part of the show. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's the guys that have, you know, gone on to do some pretty cool things out of that. So I'm proud of that and proud of what they've done. And, um, you know, I, I, I have a little bit of ownership. I don't take a little bit of ownership, but I take, okay, we were kind of the first to really put those guys on the national stage. They deserve it. And, uh, and you know, if, if, there's a, if there's points for seeing talent uh, to, to develop, I think we, uh, we knocked it out of the park there. We're pretty <laughs> I would agree. Well, of and course. Go on, Paul. The biggest achievement is uh, is one Dave Mastiff, who's gone from boot camp to being one of our esteemed Hooked on Wrestling party hosts. <laughs> well, so, I mean, there's, yeah, I mean, you talk about uh, catapulting a man to start. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I will say also, you know, a couple of other names, you know, um, Rockstar Spuds done a fantastic job, is still on there, still on the Impact Wrestling roster, doing a great job, and, you know, Marty Skrull tearing it up for Ring of Honor and all over the world. So there's lots of others. But in something, getting something like that getting done from from your perspective is that you knocking on someone's door and saying look can i just take brian and a camera and go to the uk and just and shoot a show and, and leave me to it how, how much because i mean i know you had a you know a, you're going to be self-deprecating but i know that was a, 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 a borash project project which you got done so you know how much does it take a lot of effort to convince someone to like let me go and do this um it did you know and i guess once you have a you know challenge is a very willing partner uh, you know, we all had, you know, Paul, Paul was a big part of that. Uh, you know, I mean, like every, everybody involved at that time uh, in dealing with challenge, the, the network. And if you've got a, uh, you know, a, a management and programming that's definitely behind the product and sees it as a, uh, you know, as something to, to market across the channel and, and offer alternative programming or auxiliary programming to go along with it. Um, you know, it's just kind of finding the right concept. Problem, I think, was on my end is that, you know, it was a. You know, we're, Impact still is a pretty small staff of people. It's not, you know, we're not a huge giant company on a on a big corporate building in, in Stanford. We're a pretty small group of folks. Uh, so it was kind of, uh, it was definitely my project. And at the same time, it was a real education because when Sky commissions a program, um, you know, you're you're dealing with a, you know, a lot of lawyers, a lot of creative, a lot of uh, standard, I guess what we would call standards and practices. Uh, you got to clear everything. Everybody's got to have background checks. It's just a very extensive, um, you know, they, they have very high requirements. In fact, very much higher than anything here in the U.S. Uh, in terms of what they need. And, and I think that's government regulations and a lot of things. So it's the paperwork and kind of the minutia of it all. That was the hardest part of all that. Um, the creative part and, and doing the show and shooting the show and editing the show. That's just that's that's the party. That's a good time. So. Uh, I guess just the flip side of it, that to me still, when I look back, was the hardest part of that is what was going on behind the scenes and, and the amount of paperwork and due diligence you had to do to actually do a show for Sky Television. Uh, and, you know, they, they pay. That's the thing. You know, they want to know what their they want to know their investment is uh, is on the up and up and, and what they're paying for they're getting. And uh, so they're very hands on with that. So that was an education and, and getting to do those two seasons. Um, was a thrill was an absolute thrill and a huge education for me no doubt i will note that uh, at the start of that answer you did um you did put, put over paul benson ever so slightly i just want to say that uh, we don't necessarily encourage that thing on there uh, on this podcast because it, enc- it encourages him 
and I don't want him to yeah, get Yeah, to... that would be the last time I'd I don't say want... anything nice about him. Uh, yeah, good, good, because there, there, there is a rule, so I just I don't want him to get above his station, you know what I mean? Um... Yeah, no, I completely understand. Yes. <laughs> um, go on, Paul, go on t- give us a little bit from your perspective, Paul, because we um, we should talk a bit more about your uh, uh, you know, your role in the uh, in the industry, as it were, when you were working with Tina, because that would have been something you had been all over, I guess, all joking aside. Yeah, yeah, just to echo what JB said, you know, working with Challenge... The, the challenges of getting onto Challenge were, were massive. You know, when when I joined the company, TNA was on Bravo and had a really good relationship with the channel. Um, but Bravo was purchased along with other channels by Sky. And it, just to, it's a long time ago now, so we can probably talk about this. But um, Sky didn't want any part of TNA at the time. They didn't want any part of anything um, that came with Bravo. They shut the channel down. They didn't see any value in it. Luckily for us we had a cast iron contract that meant they had to air us to the end of the contract so they basically just looked at it and went you know what put them on challenge stick them on challenge and, and forget about it and that was it it was a throwaway it was a, very much a throwaway it, it was, it was a, a, a contractual obligation and nothing more but luckily we landed on our feet the team at challenge with Dom and Kirsty and Heather and later Steve Ladlow just took it upon themselves they really really got the bit between their teeth and decided they were going to use use TNA as the flagship of the channel and we all worked together there was those guys there was me there was JB there was my old boss Richard there was Simon all pushed so hard and within a year it had gone to the point where Impact was far 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 and away the highest rate show on their channel they were commissioning boot camp they were showing episodes of Impact live the first ever program they ever showed live on Challenge was the taping from Glasgow in 2014 they were showing pay-per-views live. They were paying multi-millions for the contract. It was from being a throwaway contractual obligation through the hard work of a whole bunch of us. It became a massive, massive success for them. And um, yeah, to be honest, that is that achievement, taking that from where it was in the UK to where it ended up, was probably the proudest thing I've ever done in my career. And I've, you know, I was absolutely honoured to work on it for all those years, for all those guys. Yeah, that was a case of just a lot of good people, smart people. I think, uh, you know, everybody on the same page, one goal, one option, one, one direction, and, and just gearing uh, everything towards the, the promotion of the company, uh, especially in the U.K. So, uh, you know, and, and I guess from that, Paul, from that perspective, I'm most proud of that, too, because there was, you know, didn't have a lot of help on this end. I mean, there was so much going on. Again, we have a small staff, and, and you know, there's so many things, especially being on Spike TV at the time here in the U.S., uh, you know yep. those resources are are dedicated to that American broadcast, uh, and when they're paying you know twenty something million a year for it, you're, you know that's where the attention's going to go. So uh, oh, I'm glad that we we had a we had a real solid team in the UK uh, that was, and I couldn't have done it with it without any of you. Uh, I mean, in terms of of making sure all the the uh, the T's were crossed and the I's were dotted. So uh, couldn't have done it without that group, and I think it's uh, they're the unsung heroes of of our success virtual high five my friend yes sir absolutely that's, <laughs> hey no more nice stuff about you though Paul the rest of, otherwise you're a terrible human being the rest of you're a terrible I like I like your efforts there but as a human being 
<laughs> that's fair. Yeah, that's that. That is that is fair. Um, yeah, just tying it up into a bow, it goes back to what we were saying, uh, you know, a couple of points ago, which is the uh, the relationship with the UK audience. I think the UK audience has been super served by um, Impact Wrestling over the years, in the sense that real special things got to happen over here. The, the shows themselves were always first rate. Me and Paul actually had a chat about this a couple of weeks ago on the podcast. We were talking house shows to tapings and um, it was just after WWE had been over here taping and we were talking about the difference between going to those shows and the point we made was that from day one when the Impact shows came over here, the house shows were so good and it was I wouldn't even like to use the word house show, it doesn't feel right the tours were so good because it was like this is a big deal to come over here in front of you know, 2,000, 4,000 6,000, these, these gates that were getting bigger and bigger Um it felt like a big occurrence, and so maybe well, I, was, I think maybe that was bigger than some pay-per-views in some senses. Just, would that be fair, JB? I think from uh, from our perspective, it was like we would do good houses in America, uh, but we weren't doing the numbers we were in the UK. So for guys to come over and for the first time be able to perform in front of you know five, uh, I don't know, I think we did Wembley. I think we had ten one year uh, in there. So to to perform in front of those kind of fans was really just as much for guys who had never had that opportunity before and, and trust me it's this is an ego driven business uh you know the, the difference between performing in front of 200 people uh in an empty arena versus uh 10,000 people in a jam packed arena is you know for the ego it's night and day so i think for for the guys to be able to do this knowing that these tours are going to be so good everybody look forward to it and i think what the fans gave in terms of uh their excitement and emotion was was dealt back tenfold by what the guys did in the ring so uh those were real special times uh you know i just i just remember so many great memories i remember uh i think hulk hogan's last matches were Mm -hmm. i I think i don't know i think those last matches were that uk tour he did uh and and i think that was a pretty crazy main event i think didn't we do what was it it was hogan sting and bobby rude uh no what was it there was that we had a tag we did against Bully, Ray, Bobby Roode, and was it Kurt Angle? I think so, Could yeah. Have been there. Kurt was in there at some stage. It was, it was there. Yeah. I'm not sure they were the same every night. I think they might have varied a little bit. but um... Might have varied, but just to see, you yeah. know, and again, you don't want to see Hulk maybe in a singles match, but in six-man, you get all, you get everything you need from him. You know, I mean, it's you get, you get everything. It's his greatest hits. You get to see, you know, it's the same thing as Jimmy Page going out there and, and, and playing a few of his... Uh, of his greatest uh, riffs, you know, so it's kind of like, uh, for that was very, very cool. I just remember just being at ringside in Birmingham. I think it was one of the, I just remember going, wow, this is insane, uh, that this is happening in our ring right now. So, uh, a lot of great memories. Yeah. We never, to this day, you know, when, when we come back and, and tour there again, we're going to have the same attitude. And, uh, you know, we've never really looked at, uh, at the UK as, uh, you know, a secondary market, you know, like a lot of other wrestling companies do, uh, you know, to us it was this is this is home. You know, so I think that was the different approach, and that's I think that came through in shows. I think we could um, we could book out an entire show late, later on in the year. Let's get together again and do our uh, UK tour highlights over the years because I think that will take another podcast on its own. Just as uh, yeah. chatting about some of our highlights and memories. Um, I want to ask you a quick question before we get on to uh, uh, a role where you can preside in some judgment over our uh, our, our uh, game here on the uh, on the Hooked On podcast. Yes. Um, just a quick one. And if you don't want to talk about this in too much depth, if you're not allowed to, then I absolutely understand. But um, the Broken Hardy stuff. Um, if you don't, like I say, if, uh, if there's things that you can't say, you know, no problem. But very quickly, 
Um, whatever anyone thought about it, whatever they thought about it in context of a wrestling show, etc., etc., groundbreaking, totally different, totally uh, new genre, um, and look what it's done for for their careers. Um, you're involved in that. Are you able to talk a little bit about some of the um, the things that led into this this completely new concept? Sure. Yeah. 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 So go. <laughs> I, was, I wasn't sure because some things, you know, I don't know what's going on in the background in in, in courtrooms and stuff. But um, um, yeah. So you know, it must have been because I know you're involved in it. So it must have been fun to be doing this thing which you know was going to be just so different to the norm. Didn't quite know it actually. No. Okay. I actually far far from knew it. In fact, um, as, as the as the story goes, um, and, and this is what I kind of realized there was kind of a mm, we might be onto something here. Um, the very first thing we did. Uh, together, and that's myself and Matt, um, was the contract signing for their Slammiversary match. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that was really the genesis of the whole thing. And um, it was, I just remember it aired, and then there was a little bit of buzz about it, and then it got on YouTube, and then just really took off. And what the funny thing was is the immediate uh, thought was, this is god awful. <laughs> what are the Hardys doing? This is what happened to our, you know, what happened to the to the team extreme? What happened to the, you know, what in the world is this? And then like a couple days later, a few kind of influential people started saying, I don't know, but this is different and this is better than anything. You know, I could watch this all day. Uh, and then you just really saw the tide turning to go, okay, this is really cool. What are they going to do next? And then from that, once the, and we wouldn't have done it if that reaction hadn't been there, but once the ball started kind of turning around and, and going, okay, this is actually very different. Then we started planning the final deletion. Um, and so we had to get through the Slammiversary match, and then we started doing, uh, you know, about a month later, I think, or a couple weeks later, we did the, the final deletion. And that was really, to me, the, the second thing we did that was in the hearty, broken, brilliant style. Uh, and that was just, we knew we had something at this point, and then it was like, all right, we are going to go swing for the fences on this thing. Uh, and make it as different uh, and jaw-dropping as we could. And I think, the, the to me, the biggest part of that success maybe going at, well, obviously the video itself is insane, but the I think what really helped put that over the top was I put it out there, I gave a bunch of people, kind of what we'd say influencers, uh, advanced copies of it, and I said, do me a favor. I said, do whatever you do. You can react any way you want. If you think it's god-awful or if you think it's great, just record yourself watching it so I can see the, the, you know, it's almost like a test audience type of thing. You can see what moments they people really like, what people go, what the fuck, is, uh, what the heck is this, sorry. And uh, and so once I got some of those tapes back and realized, okay, like some influential people are flipping out over this. I know it's going to be good. And then I got more influential people. Like it. So it's really like the week before the final deletion, I had probably 20 different people out there from Shark Boy to EC3 to Drew Galloway that all posted videos of themselves watching this, and that was the best marketing we could have done because you watch this and go, okay, why are these people reacting this way? I got to see it. And that was really, I think, the genesis to it really taking off. Uh, it did the biggest numbers I think we've done in, in pop TV history uh, or anybody's done in pop TV history. Uh, so that was very cool. And, uh, yeah, I mean, it's just kind of very interesting to see your baby manifest into something that's, you know, kind of hip, kind of cool, kind of different. And uh, the one thing I don't want to be is... is is uh, is like everyone else, you know. It's always going to be. I always kind of want to step outside from the pack a little bit. So, uh, and to me, wrestling needed that. It still needs it. Uh, you know, it's become very formulaic, I think, in many ways. So, 
uh, that was kind of the coolest part about it is just seeing that and uh, implementing a different design of production, which is my background, into a pretty cool concept. I think trying something different and going with it, um, whatever it may be, is always worth doing every now and again. Um, it doesn't always work, <clears throat> House of Horrors, but sometimes you manage to get the uh, you get the formula right. And like like I said when I introduced this little segment, not it wasn't necessarily for everyone, um, and some people had some outspoken things about it. But what no one can argue with are the are the numbers and the and the fact that it got a lot of eyeballs going. And even it's back to the Roman Reigns discussion over in WWE, which is that you know whether you like him or you hate him or you think it's the wrong push etc he is a topic of conversation therefore someone's doing something right if no one's talking about anyone then it's a problem and I think that was just the talk of the industry and probably still is in some ways since you know they're popping up at Wrestlemania so I imagine I'm going to you know I know you, you always try and push me back again when I'm sort of doing something which is a bit of a, an, an ego thing for you, but you know, it must feel good to be part of that kind of thing, to think, I've made a difference here. You know, these guys have you know, they've returned to WrestleMania on that kind of thing, or whether, whether it's just big numbers for TNA, for Impact Wrestling, for, to be able to say, I did a little bit of that, and I'm not saying you dominated it, obviously there's a lot to do with Matt and other people, but it must be, it must be kind of cool. You must have moments like that throughout your you know, 15 years or so where you can go, it's nice to have been part of that. Yeah, I found behind the scenes, behind the camera is, is way more fulfilling for me than anything I can do in front of the camera. So uh, from a creative side, uh, you know, nothing can really touch the abilities and the freedom I've been given with that. Uh, and that's so important. And it's like, you know, uh, I get asked a lot of times, would you go work somewhere else? Or, and it's just like, at the end of the day, I, I might, you know, I need my, my creativity addiction needs to be fed. And, and if that's not happening, I'm, I'm miserable. Uh, so the, the amount of freedom I have at impact is just, I couldn't ask for more freedom. Uh, you know, unless I'm doing something really stupid, which I've been known to do every once in a while and try, try you know, I get reined in, but for the most part, it's, you know, uh, so let me run with it. So that's, you know, you can't ask for anything better than that. Uh, you know, what we're doing, uh, with LAX right now is, uh, you know, they, they kind of let me just run with that. And so we're doing some kind of different, very different groundbreaking kind of stuff. Uh, one thing I just did for the crash in uh, Tijuana is, uh, and this is just <laughs> this was born out of the fact that my initial idea was I wanted to fly uh, you know, I have the drone that I fly around, I've got a couple of them, um, and, and it creates amazing cinematography you get shots you can't normally get you know, it just gives you a different viewpoint of, of the ring, uh, and I can't fly the drone at Universal Studios where we do impact, not allowed even on the proper, right, uh, Universal has banned drones from every aspect of that, You're nowhere near it um, so I went down to Tijuana, Mexico, and I thought, okay, I'm going to try and fly the drone around the ring while the show's going on. Because <laughs> it, uh, there's no rules there. Uh, and God forbid it crashes down on somebody, you just, you know, pay, pay them 100 bucks and hopefully they'll go away. Uh, <laughs> right? Not the legal implications there are here. Uh, I flew it around a little bit, and the, it was way out of control, and I couldn't get good, you know, I mean, it's just, it was dangerous. So I decided not to do that. So, uh, I thought, well, how can I replicate a drone inside an arena? So I just, this last time out, I built a, a rig, uh, and the Young Bucks and Pentagon and Phoenix were, were in the main event. So I, I built the rig to kind of replicate the drone look, uh, and I just put that up on the Crash uh, YouTube page, and it's in 4K, but it's a whole different, whole different way to watch the match. Uh, and, and it gives you a perspective. I wanted to create something that gave you a... Uh, the perspective uh, from the wrestler's eyeball. So, so as the guy standing there on the outside of the uh, the ring apron, you know, in a tag team match, you're actually seeing what he's seeing. 
Uh, so if you go and check that out, I'd encourage everyone to check it out. Let me know what you think. But that's, you know, it's kind of those little innovations that I think I can contribute, hopefully, uh, and get good feedback on and, and just kind of use my obsession, uh, uh, my clinically obsessed, documented clinically obsessed uh, viewpoint on production and try and go uh, present some new things to watch. You know, again, it's just it's the same thing, just a different presentation. And uh, and that's kind of what I'm trying to do now. Fantastic. And uh, where, where can people go to check that out? Sorry, is it the, the Crash YouTube uh, it's, page? Uh, the Crash Lucha Libre YouTube page. Uh, they're, they're, and we work with a lot of promotions, you know, obviously, and, and Impact's been great about it. Um, Anthem is, you know, a, you know, the Fight app is a huge app right now, and, and they're trying to expand it and create more content. So, you know, if you look at what people are doing right now, is there another alternative to the WWE Network? There's a few you know, but who's really got the, you know, who's the front runner of that? And I think there's a there's a room right now. There's room for that right now. And, and the fight app is, uh, I think, the, the top contender to to really give uh, the, the network a run for its money. Absolutely. And that's uh, that's uh, FIT if you're looking at ch- checking it out at home. Um, let's um, move on to uh, a, a segment which is reasonably new here on the uh, on the podcast. I mean, we're in week five, Paul, I think we're uh, up to, which we call the uh, the best of times the worst of times and it requires a judge so you're going to sit in uh, in presidence over this um over this little debate this week's topic uh is lex luger paul and i are each sure. going to put forward a, a match from uh, lex's career that we would think would be but most representative of him in in the best light were there to be some sort of wrestling time capsule uh, so we'll each, yes. put, we'll each put one across and uh, um you'll make the decision ultimately but we'll have a little chat about some other um high points and uh, one or two low points of, uh, of his career as well but before we yes. get on to that um he'll be someone that you'd have worked with um, from sporadically because obviously in the uh, your initial WCW days I think he was in WWA sure. as well he's made some um, yep. appearances no, in TNA Lex, from here and there uh, I've, I've known Lex very well for probably yeah since 98 probably mm-hmm. yeah so I, I, I'm pretty familiar. I mean personally again uh, I would say his his uh, WCW years wasn't the nicest a guy wasn't the most approachable of guys uh, I think after that ended and everything you know uh, and he went through a real rough patch but I mean uh, you know he was always a, a wonderful man uh, perfect gentleman you know every, every time after that so I, I think uh, you know he, he obviously has a long and storied career I'm looking forward to hearing your opinions on this very interesting okay is it, uh, Paul remind me who's um, I get this wrong every week is it, is it me to go first this time it's you to go first my it friend is. I, yeah. I, I, I always get this floor. wrong I always get this wrong okay I'm, I'm going to choose this might be a slightly controversial and I might sound slightly hypocritical because I'm one for um, talking about finishes not ruining matches but tainting them occasionally but I am going to choose Lex Luger versus Ric Flair from the Great American Bash 1988 Baltimore Baltimore Maryland it was an NWA uh, heavyweight title match which at the time Lex Luger won to become champion except it was the old what was sometimes referred to as the old dusty finish which was that um, it didn't necessarily end with uh, Lex winning with the torture rack as it appeared but uh, instead, the uh, the Maryland State Athletic Commission uh, had ended the match early because of blood losses. That was was the story it went to. You can argue until the cows come home about that story, um, and you can argue about how the rest of um, Flair Luger went throughout the rest of uh, '88. I personally think this is a much better match than the uh, the Starcade match later in the year, in my opinion. Um, this crowd, whatever anyone says about Lex at different points of his career, people might want to put the boot in about him and say that, you know, especially in his WWF run, that you know he was never what they were trying to make him. They, the people wanted Brett or they wanted Sean or they wanted whoever. Lex Luger in Baltimore on that night was about as over as you can get. They were so rabid for him winning that title. They went crazy for him winning it. And while I'm talking about, 
you know, fin- people getting into, into intimate with the finishes, I'm going to say that the way he reacted to that, and Lex is someone that people always said, you know, didn't necessarily get the, the feel of the wrestling business, came in from American football, didn't grow up a wrestling fan, um, and he didn't really get it. Well, on, let me tell you, on that night, he celebrates like it's the most important thing to him in the world. So call it acting, call it feeling your character, call it whatever, but people often talk about the thrill of victory and the agony of defeat. Uh, in wrestling and that was a hell of a moment for that that small part and um, when he won it and the match building up to it I think is, is a good match it showed I mean listen he's in the ring with one of the greatest of all times so if you can't have a good match with Ric Flair who can you have a good match with but I think it's an excellent match and it's the one that uh, you know you know, 29 years on I think stands up as a, as a decent wrestling match and uh, one which I think shows Luger in a good light what about you Paul over to you sir well that's a damn good shout from what I understand now I'll be completely honest I am no scholar of, uh, of Lex Luger's career I was always a WWF guy back in the day um, so you know anything I've picked up on Luger sort of early 90s and into the 80s is stuff that I've, I've, I've come to way after the fact um, and I think my choice reflects that actually I I got into watching Nitro as did many um, around about the time of the um, the New World Order coming along. In fact, funnily enough, Rob and I, I know by pure coincidence, both of our first episodes ever watching Nitro was the episode that Scott Hall yep. turned up purely by chance. Because um, that JB, that you know, but that was when it started being shown properly in the UK. Before then, it was kind of available but not. And then just before the NWO came along, it really became more visible. So you see a big spike just before then but I'm going to go with a match on Nitro in August uh, 1997 Um, and it was the famous one where Lex Luger defeated Hollywood Hulk Hogan for the world title Um, and the reason I'm going with this is because I don't think if if we're talking about a record of Lex Luger's career what do we what what does Lex Luger be what's he remembered for it's not his quality of matches and it never will be and he'd be the first to admit that I'm sure Lex Luger's all about moments and creating history and having him as the crusader that was the first guy to come in and really deal a body blow against the NWO by taking that title off Hogan in a damn good match. I mean, it wasn't, you know, we're talking Hogan-Luger here, so it's not, you know, up there with the technical classics, but it was a damn good match. The heat and the atmosphere was off the charts. The crowd went insane when he won it, and it was a momentous point in history for the Monday Night Wars in general um, I, th- I think it was the high highlight, you know, high rating to that point um, on Nitro um, in, in the hottest period so I, I'm going with that I'm go- I'm, I, I haven't got much of a uh, you know, if Meltzer was here he'd be castigating me because it's not the highest star rating I've ever seen but it was the biggest moment in ringing Luger's career by far I think and the most important so Hogan uh, Luger on Nitro well, Meltzer's, Meltzer's not here. That's an important thing to point out. But uh, <laughs> uh, JB is. And before, uh, Jeremy, before you make a decision on um, uh, which of our, our picks you're going with, um, some other matches that, that jump out to you possibly that, uh, that you might have either just thrown into the conversation? Well, I actually had in my, in my mind, and then there's a couple of you both, uh, those were the two matches I had. Cool. Okay. I'd also, <clears throat> and they're both, uh, I'll make my judgment here in just a minute because I actually do feel there's a definitive right one there. But I'd also throw in, uh, and Paul had a good point. The, the moments uh, are what you remember, and I think something that supersedes both of those matches uh, was when he walked out on Nitro that first definitely, night for uh, for the debut night. That was a game changer because it put Nitro on the map, and nobody. Uh, and I've talked to him about it. He told me the whole story 
He was uh, wrestling the night before in Moncton, Canada. Uh, they had a house show Sunday night. He didn't tell anybody he was going. Uh, and he just showed, showed up there. When they saw him on TV, that was the first time uh, anybody in, uh, in WWE was under the impression he was leaving. So uh, it was quite a shocker. Uh, and it was a real, uh, I think to Vince McMahon, it was a, oh, wow, these guys are <laughs> these guys aren't messing around. Uh, you know, to, to have Lex walk out there uh, that night in the Mall of America. So uh, that was a huge moment. And, and I think probably Lex's uh, maybe arguably biggest moment in terms of, uh, you know, the, the, what stands out in the course of history for, for this man's career. Uh, the right answer, uh, and this could be argued, I do believe, I'm going to go with Rob on this one, for his match, and uh, only because going into that, Lex had more steam, more momentum than he's ever had. I think he, I think the whole thing was dampened a little bit after the finish because the finish was kind of lame. But mm-hmm. looking back now, I just remember the hype for that match going in, and I'm thinking to myself, and I went, what year was this? 2000 or uh, 1990? Uh, what was it? The, the uh, 1988 is, is the match. Yeah. 88, yeah. Yeah. Going into this 1988. Uh, keep in mind, I'm <laughs> at this point uh, 12 years old, 13 years old. Um, I thought there is no way Luger is not winning the belt. And there's no way that you hit so much momentum. So I thought going into that show, uh, he was so red hot. It was his time to win it. I think he should have won it that night. He didn't. They had a whack finish. Uh, It was what it was. I thought, I didn't think the program was ever really the same after that. Not to downplay what he did with the the Nitro thing, because that was a huge, huge night. But I think that spoke more to how over the NWO was versus... Uh, what Luger did. Um, so I think in that case, I think the, the momentum, the hype was carried by Luger in the first match going in uh, versus Paul, what you said was more about overcoming the NWL. So both good matches. And, and again, I think my, type, my two standouts for him. I'm going to take another victory. I'm doing better on this game than I was on the uh, the WrestleMania mixtape, I have to say, where I seem to lose every, every I, week. I, but I'm going to have to eat my words. I, I gloated to high, hell and high water on that WrestleMania mixtape, but you're 4-1 up on this one. JB, I really thought you had my back there, buddy. <laughs> I got <laughs> Fair enough, fair enough. <laughs> just, just, just quickly, we actually, just, just you know, not long before we went on air, we had a little bit, Paul and I won't tell each other um, uh, what matches we, we, we're picking before we come on but we will sometimes have a chat around the, the, the concept and we did say look we ought to front up here and say that clearly coming out on Nitro is the moment like can we say oh that's more important than a match but we, we're trying to keep the the, uh, the integrity of the little competition and, uh, and, and, and keep it as matches but definitely that would be yes. something that, you know, that that is Luger's moment and I think it's funny that you know, a couple of things in his career stand out as that. I mean, I'm not saying it was the the greatest segment on pay-per-view of all time, but they made a big deal of him as the unveiling of the narcissist at the Rumble '93, and then yeah. you know, later on, um, uh, you know, when he slammed Yokozuna and did the babyface turn, the Stars and Stripes on the USS Intrepid. You know, all of that sort of thing. July the Fourth, I think it was. All those things were, you know, it was clearly someone that a lot of people thought a lot of at lots of different times in his career that they went to you know such lengths to to do so and we, we do talk about this segment being the best of times and the worst of times so we occasionally sort of will you know we'll, we'll talk about some of the lower points and I would say that a lower point for Luger is something that was along his career was that 
it felt like he wasn't necessarily to use American sporting parlance he wasn't necessarily a closer there was a lot of good things that happened in Luger's career the start of angles but they never necessarily got to their denouement and it was you know if you can be called a choker in wrestling that's a bit harsh since it's predetermined but you know the fact that you know that he never seemed to win the big one was something that sort of l- l- lurked around his career unfortunately so perhaps that's not necessarily his fault perhaps that's people putting things together but if there is a down thing on on Lex for that I think it's probably that um, he never quite seemed to have the big moment someone always seemed to get there in front of him hey, that's a fair statement yeah. yeah I mean and he had a he had a share of and I think maybe you just got to measure it versus the, the, the push versus the execution sometimes mm-hmm. uh, you know I don't know if the in theory I don't know if uh, you know putting a guy on a bus around the country is necessarily a bad idea politicians do it Mm-hmm. Um, you know, but to, you know, for some reason, it's just viewed as a as a flop, the Lex Express idea. Uh, but obviously, you had a lot of. Uh, I think his is just sometimes the opportunity maybe outdid the performance. Um, I don't know if that's a fair statement or not, but I think that might have something to do with it. Maybe the expectations were just a little bit too high. Obviously, his uh, his look was incredible. Uh, his work, you know, that's it was you know never really championed. Uh, so I think that's that's kind of one thing and. You know, I think there were there were parts of his career where he was he was pretty difficult to work with. So, uh, you know, there's there's different factors for everything and, and why he may not have achieved what he, uh, you know, what he could have. But, uh, you know, still an impressive career. We'll never know what would have happened had he been allowed to win one, two, three in the middle of the ring at SummerSlam that year against Yokozuna. But it does always feel to me that. Um, if you're going to go to the trouble of, of packaging someone like that and sticking them on a the bus and traveling coast to coast, I'd have the guy win. In, you know, you know, not not via, not via count out is is my point. I always thought they, I'm a, as you can probably tell by in, the, the the chat in this, I'm a bigger Lex Luger fan than a lot of people are. I th- I always thought that, you know, yes, okay, his his work wasn't necessarily up to snuff, but I would argue that there's not a a whole bunch of, you know, five star classic Hulk Hogan matches. But you know, it doesn't it's not always about the wrestling. It's about the it's about the oh yeah, I'm going to say it. It's about the total package. And, you know, I, I, I think that I'm not saying Lex had anywhere near the Hulk Hogan charisma. I'm clearly not saying he's in Hulk's league for that. But I am saying that I think other, occasionally uh, others may have, uh, have let him down. Um, anyway, fun chat on, uh, on Luger. But we've got one more job to do uh, now, JB, which is that you need to set up uh, our chat for next time. So whoever the guests may be uh, next time on the show, they'll be sitting in judgment mm. over Paul and I's discussions about a different wrestler. Now, so you can take this, you can take this wherever you want. We, we, we've pointed out... Uh, that um, anything is open um, in terms of we're looking at sort of world championship level maybe um, yeah. IC title sort of level as well if it's a Hall of Famer that kind of thing so far we've talked um, we've done Bret Hart we've done The Rock uh, we've done Vader uh, we've done yeah. Edge Edge. there have been our other ones up and uh, up until now uh, uh, building up to Luger but it's entirely up to you where you'd like to take it we'll do teams we'll do female wrestlers it, it's, it's your call for who you'd like us to talk about next week I think the uh, the way to go on this is a uh, is a guy who uh, has had quite a long history, has been champion everywhere he's been, uh, is a very 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 good friend of mine. So partially is this so I can tell him about it and then he's going to listen to it and hopefully become fans of the show. Uh, but I'm going to uh, recommend next week you discuss the life and times of Mick Foley. <laughs> yes. Oh. That's a, good, that's a good call. I did. I, I had a bit of an inkling there. I had a thought that that might be someone. I, I, I thought. Uh, 
I thought you might go Kurt as well. I know someone that's been a, had a big uh, a TNA future, a big TNA um, uh, run, and he's someone we can talk about in the future. But uh, I'm stood in my uh, in my office at home right now, and I can see at least two pictures of Mick smiling out at me from my bookshelf for his uh, for, <laughs> for his books and uh, someone that uh, I've interviewed on several occasions. Paul, I'm sure you've had some dealings with. I'm uh, very excited to talk about Mick next week. Well, I yeah. think the challenge is, you know, how do you find him? I mean, obviously, Hell in a Cell is what, but there's there's so much more to his career than that. And I challenge both of you to dig uh, deep. I, I, I already know what I'm choosing. I won't reveal it now, but there's one that stands head and shoulders above the rest. The key challenge isn't picking a match. It's getting Mick Foley on to adjudicate. <laughs> well, okay, okay. Yeah, Mick, get Mick on to do Well, okay, that would be a, a different way of doing that. But he would have to be I'll sort of like a... He, you feel like he'd have to be a sort of a, a, a sort of a key witness. Someone else would still have to preside, but we can go to Mick for a sort of testimony on himself. I don't know, but uh, um, yes. yeah, lots of ways we can go with that because uh, clearly um, Mick is someone that uh, psychology and character plays into things a lot of his career. And there's the there's the sort of the brutal side. There's the more um, you know there's the different sort of side that when he did show that he could uh, have as good a match as anyone at various different times of his career. Oh, that's a great choice. Thank you very much for that. We'll have uh, a great discussion about. Uh, about Mick next week on the show. Um, uh, for now, though, um, JB, it's been fantastic having you on. It's been ages since I've spoken to you, so it's been uh, really nice uh, having you back on. Um, good luck with whatever um, you and uh, Mr. Park end up uh, end up having with uh, with Steiner and Matthews and, and whatever. But we'll all, we'll all be watching certainly here on uh, on uh, on Spike in the UK. And uh, whenever it is that you you, uh, you get it resorted again to uh, to come over and see us and and have another fan party over here, you can be uh, assured that me and Mr. Benson will be along. Of course, of course, guys. And I, I'm sure I'll talk to you before uh, July 2nd. But if I do not uh, get a chance to talk to either one of you before July 2nd, it's been nice knowing you both. <laughs> um, I want to just say it's, I, you know, look after, uh, look after my family, and uh, it's been nice knowing you both. <laughs> <laughs> Great stuff there, Jeremy Borash from TNA, and uh, we talked a little bit about in the podcast, Paul, how you and I have known him for, for quite some time, but he really is, it's an overplayed expression, but the talk about the heart and soul of a company, like, he, he, we tried once or twice in there to you know, put, to put him over in, in wrestling speak, and he won't do so necessarily, but uh, the hours that that guy has put in for that company, I think he's one of the reasons that they're still going, quite frankly. You, you couldn't have said it better, he is the heart and soul of that company, he is... Mr. Digital, Mr. Social Media, a lot of the good production they've done. Like he's got his hands on so much stuff. He's, you know, hands down, he's the most important person to impact and have has been ever since I worked with them. Um, obviously, when I started working in 2008 with TNA, they had a much bigger staff than they got now. So JB was a bit more sort of pigeonholed in a creative role. But as time went on, he just turned his hand to everything. And look, I I, I like the guy. I think he's a great guy, but in terms of importance of that company, I don't think anyone, anyone in the company outranks him. No, especially not at some of the uh, some of the live events I've I've been to. It's effectively, you know, you hear all the, um, you know, I think it's it become bigger as as time went on. But some of the early house shows when the music was playing to bring someone to the ring, that was JB's laptop at ringside on iTunes. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. That was that was literally yeah, yeah. linked up to the sound system, and that was no no no, you know, big deck full of people with. You know, you know, world-class production facilities. It was just JB hooked up to an extension cord and playing it on iTunes. It was, uh, 
it was as straightforward as that. And 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 he's ringing out in at the same time. So, you know, goodness me, a, a real hero. Um, we won't go on about it too much because um, <laughs> people will get, get bored of us fawning over our friends. But you know, just in all seriousness, if you've never appreciated JB or, or whatever, then you know, uh, you really should do. Um, right, on to what I think is uh, something that people have been uh, looking forward to um, for one or two days. I know that uh, I know that you have. Um, should we be explicit? We, I think we touched on at the uh, the start of the show exactly what it was that well, not not exactly, but roughly what it was that uh, we were going to get into. But um, the uh, the NXT Takeover show took place on Saturday night. I didn't watch it on Saturday night. Uh, I watched it on Sunday afternoon. Um, but before that, I'd uh, in fact you take up the story. It's your it's your side of the story, really. But I me and yeah. Paul had had a conversation via text on the on the Sunday morning, and it went uh, a little like this. Yeah. Well, first of all, I. I broke the habit of lifetime. Normally, I cannot help myself in looking at spoilers before watching a show, but somehow I managed to wake up. Helps that you've got a seven, three-year-old boy. And I managed to woke up, wake up at six o'clock in the morning on Sunday, and I watched it downstairs in the two hours without any spoilers. And my God, I'm pleased I did. My God, I am. And um, anyway, as soon as it finished, I sort of engaged in a conversation on the Hooked on Facebook page, and we're bantering a bit back and forth about how good it was and, and that came very close to tagging you Rob in something and this was can't have been any later than about 11 o'clock in the morning on Sunday came close to tagging you in, in but then it just suddenly dawned on me that you probably hadn't seen it yet I didn't want to spoil anything for you so instead I sent you a text and said you know mate you've got to see this it's, it's tremendous uh, a couple of hours later I got your review back which I think was just you mashing your fingers excitedly <laughs> on the keyboard basically uh, uh, and, and just exclaiming how I think you said it was your favourite takeover ever, which I wouldn't have agreed with that, but I can certain, certainly go with that opinion. But then you hit me with the bombshell that you thought that you loved the UK Championship match, but you thought it was the third best match of the night. Now, you and I don't always see eye to eye in our wrestling opinions. I'd say we do more often than not, but we don't always. But I can't ever remember a time where I've disagreed with you on something more. I just do not do not see how um, and I know it's subjective and I know it's not an absolute but I just can't see how as a long time fan and someone who knows the ins and outs of, of this genre like you do that you can't see that as the best match of the evening I just I just can't see it um, here's the thing first and foremost I want to say that I thought the match was absolutely magnificent um the context yeah. of me saying it's not necessarily the best match of the night has made some people think that I didn't think it was very good. I know I had a couple of people, oh, I literally had someone text me and say, I hear you didn't like the UK title match. It's like, <laughs> if that had been the only match I'd have watched this week, I, we would we would now be having a conversation about how fantastic it was. And let's at some point have a conversation about how fantastic it was because it was absolutely brilliant, right? The pair of them are superb and they had a really great match. And let me say this, the crowd was so invested in it as well. We'll get on to a little bit more other other NXT stuff. We're not going to just have a 45-minute conversation about the UK match, hopefully. But um, I thought the crowd were... Actually, the both nights, the Chicago, the Chicago crowd can be a bit of a nightmare, but I thought on both nights they were really good. Um, they really loved this UK match. It was almost like they were surprised about how good it was, um, yeah. which you know they possibly shouldn't have been, but you know they were a little bit. It was superb. It was magnificent. Here's the main reason. There is one main reason that I don't think it's as good as the other two. Is that it? Uh, it was. It was a great match between two people. If you knew them or you didn't know them, it was a great match to watch. It didn't take me on any sort of journey, and I hate using that word because it's been bastardised by X Factor and similar shows. 
but it didn't take me on any sort of invested journey through the match in terms of it didn't pull up my heartstrings it didn't make me feel a certain way it was like walking through the park or just switching on Sky Sports and watching a great football match before three as opposed to you know, watching a team that's done brilliantly to get to the final or to watch someone's return from injury or to watch your team getting promoted or a team staying up or, there wasn't, or any other sporting analogy you might want to make it didn't give me that. I could, that it didn't matter that it was those two people uh, on that show it, it, it just could have been anywhere at any time and that's, not, that's fine, that happens, that's not a problem but if we're having this conversation about the what we liked the most, then that's one of the things that, that pushed it down. That's the main thing for me. It, it, it doesn't push it down. It just elevates everything else. I'm not saying it should have had necessarily the investment of the, the storyline. Again, it's not a criticism. It's just it's saying that something else you know floated my boat a bit more. The second thing, and it's a line to it, is I think the wrong person won. And it's not that I don't think Pete Dunne's great, because I do think he is seriously good. I think he's got a huge upside. Um... And, you know, it's just he's different. He looks different. He looks the real real deal. Going back to the initial UK tournament, I love that he broke ranks on that thing when they're on the stage, just hit someone, and Riga had to get in his face, and he was like, yeah, whatever. I love Pete Dunne. I think he's really, really good. But he's a heel. And he, he won the epic 20-minute back and forth without cheating. And I just thought, Tyler Bates should have been the better man. He's the babyface. He's the hero. He should have been the better man. If 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 Dunn was going to win, he should have he should have cheated, or he should have done something a lot more overtly, you know, nasty, or attacked him after the match, or done something to be the nasty one. But at the end of the day, it was just two people having a match. And now you can say that about other matches and say, oh, that's not what NXT is about. Nonsense, it is. The other two matches had those things as well. Um, you know, had the had the the baby face and the heel and they did I don't care how much they cheer Bobby Roode he was the heel on the night he played a great heel role and people will say oh, what's the story between you know Roode and um, uh, and Itami but there is one it's the Itami story about coming back from injury and it's the um, it's the Bobby Roode um, you know story about hanging on to his title even though he's got some other contenders there is a journey with Roode and his, and his title run and there's a journey with Itami's comeback now you'll say oh well Roode didn't cheat either he probably didn't quite as much as he could have, but he did at least have... I thought he had far more heel mannerisms. He shooed the crowd off. He acted much more of a, a prima donna. He rubbed it in afterwards. Rude was the, Rude is getting cheered because people like his theme tune. But generally speaking, he's a fantastic heel. I thought Bobby Rude's performance on the night was the best performance of anyone. And I include the people in the ladder match, and they were fabulous as well. But Rude is so perfect. I God, I wish he'd gone there five or six years ago because I think, I think if he'd have gone there five or six years ago, I think he'd have been champion for the last. All of Randy Orton's um, uh, title runs could have been Bobby Roode title runs as a heel, and he would have been amazing. He's so underrated, and I can't believe he's what is what's what's Bobby forty forty one, and it's like he's. I think he's about that. He might about be doing him a disservice, but I think he's around about forty, and it's like I think he's. He's not quite as good in the ring as he used to be, but everything else is, oh my God, he's so he's amazing, right? With the ladder match, um, again, it's the story. It's the story of DIY, who have been one of the best teams going in the last year or so. Um, the two of them emote brilliantly. It was, can they get their titles back? And they couldn't quite get there. But it's the story of these two big bruisers that you know were able to, to get it done overall. That, that was the right booking, because those two blokes would win. 
in a match against those two little fellas because they, they would be bigger than them and they would be out of brute strength. And they did cheat because <laughs> Ellering came in and stopped them. So, you know, all of that works. Um, and then obviously the post-match angle, which I'm sure we'll talk about in a second, was, was mind-blowingly good. Uh, but I don't factor that in in terms of my... You know, the UK match is the third best match. I wouldn't, in, I wouldn't include the post-match angle in the ladder matches. You know, it's something different. So it's not that I'm knocking the UK one down. It's that I'm elevating the other ones because I thought the performances were so good in those other matches. And the ladder matches are really hard discipline. And I thought it was a brilliant... It's the best ladder match I've seen in absolutely ages. And I love the title match, you know, completely because it takes me somewhere. It takes Bobby Roode somewhere. You know, he's he's fought off another competitor, but he's done it with a sneer because you need you now want someone to come and knock him off his perch. I think there might be a couple more, you know, to, to go before someone eventually does. But you can tell that I'm better than you story, smug, glorious prick. And then someone gets him, you know, whoever that might be. And it might be a Tommy again down the line. It might be a few others that are, are rising through the ranks. So those are my main reasons. And I, I, I guess with a little bit of, um, you know, show me some slightly slower psychology in terms of just kicking out of everything or well, you can't do that match every week you could do a, a rude and itami match from now until the cows come home because it, it, you can it's much more sustainable you can't do bait and done like that all the time you just you'll get fed up of it it just doesn't work on a, on a long long-term scale had that had that been the main event and the other two matches didn't exist and there would have been a bunch of other things in there we'd be having a conversation where i'd be saying paul that's one of the best matches i've seen in absolutely ages because it was that good. So I, I'm not knocking it. I'm simply saying I think possibly three of the best ten matches that have happened this year all happened on the same card. And that's why I've got it in the position that I've got it. Okay. Rebuttal. Well, first of all, I'm, I'm going to say congratulations, Rob. You just spoke for about seven and a half minutes without taking a breath. Mm-hmm. That's seriously impressive, like genuinely, genuinely impressive. Just remember, um, before you came along, I had a podcast all to myself, buddy, and sometimes <laughs> they went 90 minutes, two hours of me talking. So I can do that. If you want to disappear and go make yourself a three-course meal and knit a cardigan, come back, I'll still be talking, right? So that's not a problem. That, I'll bear that in mind. But now now I, I think this is probably going to be one of the easier rebuttals that I've come up um, against. And I'm going to do it on every point, if I can remember from where you started. First of all, we'll start with the story of Dunn and Bait. Maybe I've got a slightly different perspective than you because I was at the event in Blackpool where Bate won the title. And I went into that event knowing Pete Dunne to a degree, but never having seen him wrestle and never having heard of Tyler Bate um, before. And over those two nights, those two made themselves stars. And the story there was the better man won. On the night, the better man won. These two were clearly the standouts in the tournament, and they were so neck and neck, but Bate won it on the night, and that was what counted. Um, obviously, they've both had various opponents, both on WWE TV and off WWE TV since then, and it came back to this rematch. And Pete Dunne's a phenomenal heel, and it's because he doesn't have to cheat, and it's because I, I dislike everything about Pete Dunne. I think he's got ridiculous hair. I don't like his sneer and his mouth guard. I don't like his gear. He's got that ridiculous tattoo on his leg. He doesn't wear knee pads. Everything about Pete Dunne I intensely dislike. Yet, I think he's bloody brilliant. And that to me is the mark of a great heel. Can I just stop you really quickly? I, fair enough on the, those points. Because just while I think about it, in terms of you don't like his hair, 
um, thank goodness Tyler Bate has had a bit of a makeover because <laughs> I am sick of people like the Wyatt family had big beards now everyone's got a bloody big beard right and but yeah. you, but you've got you know you had um, I'm not I'm, I don't care in which order that they came in terms of when they actually did it but you've got the vaude villains and you've got Jack Gallagher and you've got Tyler Bate and you've got Trent Seven and it's a, a, three of those are English and two of them are pretending to be English effectively and it's like stop doing the same thing now I don't know who did it first and you know we can have arguments that the cows come home about who imitates who Gallagher is in a little bit of a world of his own in terms of how he can do his character but when Tyler Bate came along and it was this moustache thing and there's Trent Seven moustache mountain it's like that's guys not a baby face gimmick right doesn't work as a baby face gimmick unless you're out and out throwback like Gallagher is but as Bate doing it, oh my god, it annoyed me that he was doing that. So he seems to have lost the moustache a little bit, the hair's changed a bit. He looks, you know, I'm never going to you know, profess to know what's cool and what isn't in terms of hairstyles of the young people, but he's a 20-year-old man that now looks like a 20-year-old man with a, you know, a sort of a floppy haircut, as opposed yeah. to the stupid one he had before, which really infuriated me as a baby face. Anyway, carry on. Yeah, great, okay. So um, they, they've got a story built in. The story is that they're two standouts and they're two guys that have come up from nowhere in the UK to try and prove themselves as the best wrestlers in the world. And on the night in Blackpool, Bate became that guy. The story in Chicago was that it was a complete mirror image of the match. Only the different, the diff, a different guy was better on the night. If if he cheats to win, he proves he's not as good as Bate, and that's not the but story. But that's, that's who beats a heel. But he's a heel. Yeah. Yeah, but not all heels have to cheat to win. Not always, like, but you've got to establish yourself, haven't you? Rude is established, so Rude can get away with it. It's a different well, sort well, of match. Well, but Pete Dunne is more, not established well, as heels. A lot of people, that would have been the first Pete Dunne match they have ever seen, yeah. right? Most of the people watching Rude will have seen him for a decade. They can they can work him out. If you've never um, seen a Pete Dunne match, you watch that and went, I love him, he's brilliant. And you don't want to love him because he's brilliant. You want him no. to be brilliant, but not as good as Tyler. And he didn't there show that he wasn't more, as good as Tyler. No, I think that's not true at all. There's nothing wrong with a heel being a better man. You you know you know how this game works. There's more than one way to being a heel. And Pete Dunne acted the heel in that match because of his viciousness, because of his sneer, because of his disregard. There was numerous points in that match that where he had the advantage and he decided to gloat and sneer rather than going full on into in, into attack mode on Tyler Bate and that's the heel turn you doesn't always have to be heel tendencies manifesting themselves in bending the rule it can be the rules it can be the attitude in which you do that I agree that. I agree I, I agree with that I agree with that and Don did that better than frankly anybody I've seen in a long long time and the story was that like you touched on earlier with this crowd those two guys went into Chicago being pretty much unknown by that crowd and the beauty of the match was that by the end of that, Bate was the face, Dunn was the very clear heel, but the crowd cared. And it was the two guys in that ring that had made them care. They had no vignettes. They had no in-ring interviews. They had no build-up. They were just two Brits that most of that crowd had never heard of and frankly didn't care about that won them over with the quality of the work and the truth in that storytelling it felt like a real contest agreed uh, agreed I, I said it was a great match I, I'm agreeing with all of that I'm, I'm having to find the little holes and the little hole is that when he won the crowd cheered and it's the wrong emotion they didn't cheer when the Authors of Pain won 
they went, oh shit, our guys didn't win. And the, if you're the correct, and even with with Rude, there was a little bit of there was more of a. I will admit that it wasn't a full, you know, full oh shit moment when he when Rude won. But the people were with Atami. The there had been a much bigger cheer for Atami. But there was a huge cheer when Dunn won. And I just thought, I, I just, I, I wish he would have kicked him in the balls when the ref wasn't looking and then hit a finisher, because then there would have still been the friss on, but there would have been that kind of, oh, you didn't need to do that. You 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 have done your bit by looking as good. Why did you feel the need to cheat? And there was a, a, a Jake. Roberts line from years ago which was that a, a, a heel doesn't cheat because he has to it's because he likes it and it was like there would have been a brilliant I did, I'm, I've missed said that a little bit but there would have been a brilliant moment if he'd have just done something really horrible and nasty rather than just being the bed that's what annoyed me the most that he should if Bate wins that match I don't think we're having this conversation I think I'm agreeing with you that it's the best match of the night I just felt the wrong guy won that's really what's what's I, irking me I, the most I fundamentally disagree, disagree just with all of it because I think it was time for Dunn to take the belt. It was you needed to get the interest in that UK Championship. I think you needed a title change, and I just think Dunn was a, a phenomenal heel. Like yes, the fans cheered when he won, but I'm that was cheering the match. And to be honest, that's that's a curse of modern day crowds, and they could have been a hell of a lot worse. In fact, credit to the crowd at Takeover. Did you hear the bit where the, the CM Punk chants? Started up and another part of the crown drowned them out with booze. I, I didn't hear that on the show, but I have subsequently heard some in-person reports that said, "Yeah, a few people tried to start that, and other people just went shut up." Incredible, absolutely credit to those guys. But in yeah, Chicago, they, in they, Chicago, by the way, exactly, and and that just shows you the strength of NXT and what those what all of those guys on that card did that night. And they, you know, I, like I say, I think I've said all I can say about that match. I think you know. You're not going to change my mind. I'm not going to change your mind, and that's fine. But um, and obviously, you know that the majority of public opinion is with me on this one. Yeah, but, but yeah, that's I, fine. I, and that doesn't matter. That doesn't matter. But I just think I, I just find it incredible that you can't. I, I like they say. I heard your argument for Rude and Itami being better, but and, and I again fully in agreement that it was a great match. But the reasons you give for it being better. I just don't think it's justified because, like you say, Rude didn't cheat. Rude won. Rude won that match clean. Um, Rude did no, acted no more of a heel than Pete Dunne did, and he got cheers afterwards. The story, to me, you made a damn good argument for it, but I don't really buy it. I just don't think there was any more of a, a story there. You know, Rude, uh, sorry, Atami won a number one contenders match a couple of weeks before to become the challenger of the month for Bobby Rude. What I think Bobby Roode really needs is a feud to get his teeth into, um, and I think that feud will be Drew Drew McIntyre, um, but it's not Atami. And I thought I enjoyed that match an awful lot, and I definitely echo everything you say about Bobby Roode. I know we're both big fans, um, but I just I just don't see any argument in my eyes for how that was a better match than um, than the UK Championship match. But let's put that behind us. And let's go on to talk about something we both do agree with, and that's the heel turn at the end of the night, eh? Actually, I want to go on to one thing first because you did um, you said about what's going to what's Bobby going to do next, um, and, and we did earlier on put on the uh, uh, on the hooked on events Facebook page. Um, what matches are you hoping to see in NXT between now and the end of the year? We put that up at uh, at the start of um, this podcast. We've had uh, uh, a few um, few suggestions come in already. Um, uh, Francis Reyes. Um, says the match that you just said which was uh, 
Bobby Roode versus Drew, um, a glorious match, he says. And maybe the, a three-way with Hideo could be uh, involved in that one. I think certainly um, uh, that's going to be on the uh, on the agenda. Uh, Daniel Same says, Bait versus done every month for the rest of my life. Um, <laughs> but he throws out, uh, obviously he says, Gargano versus Champa. We're going to talk about that. Gargano versus Dunn. I can see that being a good... Um, I mean, we don't necessarily know if Bait and Dunn are going to be integrated into NXT, do we? It's not necessarily a done oh, deal. But, but um, at some point, perhaps, if, uh, if they go down that road, then Gargano Dunn is something... Um, Black versus Cole, um, if and when uh, he signs, referring to uh, Adam oh, wow. Cole and Alistair Black, and uh, Cassie Sono versus Drew Galloway. There's some ones that uh, Daniel Same says. Um, Stephanie O'Connor uh, goes with Ono versus Rude. Um, she says Black versus Strong, which sounds like um, very similar ways to have your coffee. Um, but uh, Black versus Strong, uh, Ember Moon versus Ruby Riot, Black versus Champa, Gargano versus Dunn. Uh, Matt Barber, Pete Dunn versus anyone. Uh, he just has that indescribable something, much like Jake Roberts, if you will. And uh, Joe Kiley says uh, Alistair Black versus Cassius Ohno. So there's um, some similar names popping up there. It seems that uh, that's the little selection. Um, so as well as Bobby Roode, who's already there, it seems that um, Drew McIntyre, um, the two members of DIY, um, and then um, Alistair Black and um, Cassius Ohno, they seem to be the, the recurring um, ones in there. Um only one mention in there for for Roderick Strong. He was someone that was in the uh, the opening match with um, with Eric Young, and it, it very much feels to me that um, that's their level. They they feel like opening match guys. So I thought that was a good match, and, but um, I always feel that that's about as good as you're going to get from um, from from Roddy. I, he, he's the he's the sort of Dean Malenko of this era, I think, which is very 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 good and almost never has a bad match. But I'm not certain how he can step it up onto that very very top level. But he'll have, always have a career and a, and a post career because of his. Uh, Technical expertise, um, and uh, yeah. So, gone. You were going to talk. You wanted to mention about the uh, the post match ladder, uh, the post ladder match breakup angle. Um, when I was watching the show, um, and they went to Rude versus uh, Itami as the you know as not the last match. Uh, obviously, an alarms went off in my head in terms of oh hello, there's going to be a reason for this. Now, I thought I had a two or three things in my mind but actually perhaps naively none of them were they're going to break them up I had in my mind I thought first of all I thought there'll be a return I thought you know or a, or a debut there's going to be a I was thinking even maybe they've kept it quiet but you're going to get um, maybe the, the Briscoes or, or something like that you know, some sort of big you know moment where you get a, a new tag team come in or a returning tag team or you know some such moment for um, uh, you know to, a, to attack you know, the winners of that last match. That was my main thought. The second I thought, which was the more worrying one, was I thought they're going to do some stunt which is so amazing they're going to break the ring. And then, obviously, if you do a, a stunt much like they did the uh, uh, the, the ring-breaking effect with, you know, with their show the other week, and, um, uh, you know, and... Um, <laughs> how have I forgotten the top guy on Raw's name? A Braun Strowman. <laughs> Where did that come from? Um, uh, you know, that they did with them the other week. Um you can't follow that obviously you're not going to build the ring up again so I thought maybe they're going to do something where they break the ring or go through the ring or, or something like that it didn't necessarily I knew something was coming post-match but even as they were walking up the aisle I thought you know oh, that's really surprising they're not going to do anything and then wham and it really caught me um, when you look back on it you think oh there's probably nowhere else to go with that team they've probably done all that they can with them um, and especially in a, a small roster such as NXT, they've worked with all the top tag teams. The revival have gone on, Alpha have gone on, 
it's that there's no real other teams coming through. So this is going to be a quite a, a, a task, by the way, is for you know who gets to the authors of pain now. They're going to they're going to have to find a babyface tag team, and I'm not sure that they've got one on tap. Um, you might be able to put me put me right there, but I can't think of one off the top of my head. They might have to go with the old um, let's get two people who aren't doing very much at the moment and stick them together. Um, and, two and, words, mate. Heavy machinery. Heavy machinery. Yep. I know you're not as big an NXT fan as I am, but they're, they're a big babyface tag team. I'm pretty much the babyface parallel for the Authors of Pain. Okay, fair news. Okay. Now nah, they'll be the guys. Okay, I'll, uh, I'll I'll go with your uh, your judgment on that one. But um, uh, so yeah, anyway, so I, I, I didn't see it coming. Um, but I was I thought it was beautifully executed. And going back to the crowd, my favourite thing about it easily was hearing the crowd shout "F you, Champa," and "Asshole," and some. Now, that, you know, they are going to respect and know how good Tommaso Ciampa is and they decided yeah. we're going to play the game we're not going to be you know, smarky trying to put ourselves over try and be clever you know, no thank you Ciampa or anything like that they went F you Ciampa and I thought yeah. oh I like this uh, that's a sign of an invested crowd it actually carry. we'll do a little bit of backlash stuff in a minute but it actually carries on into Sunday there were some things that they did on Sunday that crowd and I thought oh, it's a bit of a sign that they're fairly happy here that they're not shitting on things they're just they're, they're going along for the ride they're, they're playing the game um, but particularly in that that crowd reaction made that post-match angle because you just felt what an horrible dastardly nasty piece of work you are and I hope that Gargano kicks your ass soon it was, it was a real genuine feeling I thought it was brilliantly done before I go into my thoughts on it, and I've got lots, um, something's just cropped into my head um, that we might be seeing a really positive trend that could come. Chicago tend to be ahead of the curve, don't they? They are smart fans. They are in the know. Um, they tend to be on right on the edge of who's current and who they, they boo and cheer who they want to boo and cheer. Could we be seeing the start of a backlash against these full-sale-type smarky crowds that want to put themselves over? Could Chicago be the first ones who, instead of protesting against what WWE are offering, they're protesting against the other crowds that shit on it by being part of the show and cheering and booing who they should do? Just a thought. But if anyone's going to do it, if anyone's going to turn the tide, it could be Chicago. Maybe the cool thing from now on is to be part of the show. I hope so. And I hope so not in too much... Because, again, we'll talk about backlash in a minute, but I worry that some of the cheering for Jinder is a sort of... You know, is that sort of um, sort of kitsch? Oh, I'll just I'll cheer for someone just for the sake of cheering for them, and it's a little bit of an ironic thing. It's a little bit like the, the you know the, the Fandangoing. You know, the, the, yeah. it's oh we're, we're doing something. I mean, listen, I'm, I was at the heart of the Fandango revolution, but I'm saying that it's the that was a different. I wasn't cheering him in the ring. I've always been a big advocate of that. If your favourite wrestler is Kevin Owens, that when you go and watch Kevin Owens live the biggest respect that you could give to Kevin Owens is booing as loud as you possibly can. Not going, yeah, yeah you're great. I love Ring of Honor. I'm going to hold up a sign that says kill Steen kill and show how cool I am. No, don't do that because that's a been and because Kevin Steen won't appreciate that. Kevin Owens won't appreciate that. Kevin, whatever his real name is, assuming it is Kevin Steen, won't appreciate that. He would rather you booed him out of the building because that's his job. And if he gets booed out of the building all the time, then he will become the top heel in the company and he'll be in top matches and then he'll make the most money. And then it sets him in a good position to when they do turn him babyface, he'll be in one of the top babyfaces and he'll make a vast amount of money in his career. If you mess around and don't give him the right reaction, then you're not really setting him up very well. That's, that's, what, that's my thought. But yeah, going back to what you're saying, you know, expand on that one. What you're saying is that... Um, 
because some, sometimes crowds will be, you know, intent on doing it for themselves. We've seen the. I didn't think the post WrestleMania crowd were that bad this year. I thought they were reasonably into the show and not necessarily trying to go into business. Other than the beach ball stuff, you know, I thought they were better this year as well. They were, better. They were much better. I just wonder whether it's the backlash to the backlash, and we're seeing fans that actually want to be part of the show now, rather than you know we've done those years of being the arseholes that cheer and boo we want and do what we like. And maybe now it's time that we became part of the show, enhanced what we see on screen. Maybe now you hear all these complaints about the fans, and maybe crowds as a whole are taking them to heart. And now, when now the compliment they want is that they enhanced the show itself. They were part of enhancing the show rather than detracting from it. And I'm just 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 sort of off the top of my head, but I just wonder whether that's the way we're going. But on back onto the uh, the DIY thing, um, I actually got to the end of that match and loved that match by the way really really enjoy I love a good tag team ladder match I love DIY I'm a big fan of the Authors of Pain um, I love the loved the spot by the way where Ellering got in the ring and he was isolated by DIY and he's a, he just came across like an arrogant doddery old fool because instead of cowering away he just he just sort of stuck his finger in the face metaphorically thinking that he wasn't going to get attacked and bam <laughs> they whacked him I thought it was brilliant I thought it was really well done instead of cowering away he was almost like this demented old fella that thought he could take them all on and, and clearly he couldn't. But anyway, um, thought the match was brilliant. Come the end of the match, my first thought was, he's going to turn here. Because of the fact that Gargano effectively um, sacrificed himself for Ciampa, I thought the next thing was, we're going to get Ciampa blaming him for the loss and beating shit out of him. But then you got the big NXT farewell, you got the looking around in the ring, you got the claps, you got the thank yous, you got the milk in it, and then they went all the way at the ramp. Even went as far, went as far as having the copyright logo flash up on screen. So it was, it was done. It was over, and then bam, it happened. And I just thought it was so good, so so good. Because like you said, they booed the shit out of Champa instantly. A beloved babyface indie darling suddenly became hated, hated heel, a proper heel, and. Um, I, you know, it just reminded me of the barbershop window. Like that's the only comparison I'm giving. It was that was such a good turn um, and such a good tag team breakup. And this was comparable. I thought it was. I just thought it was so good. Like you know, from him whisper. I love, and Gargano played his part perfectly, by the way. Like when he whispered, when Champa whispered in Gargano's ear just before he did it, and then you could see the look on Gargano's face, just confused. Said, "Did he just say what I thought he said?" And before he could compute it, he was head first into the video screen. And then the heartbreaking bit where he got the second knee in his face and his first reaction was to crawl into his best friend's lap and just like go to him because he was so utterly confused and bewildered. He was crawling to his best friend for for help and for shelter, forgetting completely that it was his best friend that had just put him in that position for a second and then he just fucked him again. Excuse the language. I just thought it was so, so well done. I can't can't tell you how much I thought that turn was just the perfect heel turn um, and I think it's going to lead to one of the best feuds we've seen in NXT, no I'll rephrase that, I think it's going to lead to the best NXT feud we've ever seen over the next six months definitely, definitely and I think that um, you know, obviously this is I won't say it's, um, it's not chapter one but it's kind of, this is probably the conclusion if we're doing it on a modern scale this is probably the, the last episode of a box set and then the new one will be the the first episode will be the, the matches between these two because yes I, I expect this to last um, 
if, if they've got this right, they could have this last a long time. It could be a match at the next takeover, then a match at the takeover afterwards, and then, you know, they then one goes off and does one thing, while another one goes off and does another thing, but then they come back to it. I can, I can see this lasting a long time, depending on when, of course, it is that um, uh, they're likely to be called up if they, if they ever are called up. Because I, I often said, and I'm not certain that um, people are in NXT just to be called up to the to big leagues. I think sometimes they need to have some you know, experienced hands in NXT to, to bolster that roster, to help others come through, to be on the house show tours. But then, to be fair, I did say that I never thought Samoa Joe would get called up. Um, not because I didn't want him to, because obviously he's amazing, but um, because I thought that he might not, and now he has, and he's he's doing a good job. Well, so I think it's... But I, that Samoa Joe is the example that proves your point, Rob, because if you read interviews with him, he out and out says that the plan at first was for him to be that NXT mainstay. Plans changed that was the goal so I would imagine if that was the goal with him there'll be others who were in that same spot um, wouldn't be massively surprised if Bobby Roode thought of like that yeah very similar and um, you know because um, I think of all of those I think Roode is the one that to me fits the most in terms of a they won't do anything long term like I pointed out earlier on in the show that his, his age is against him on that but he to me has the I think what they're doing with Jinder Mahal is I think they're, they're looking we've talked before about I think they're exploiting the, um, you know, the the gap in the Indian market, and they're extending over there. And I think that's probably the primary reason. But, you know, the sudden Jinder Mahal push and championship win with some help is effectively the JBL push from, you know, from ten or twelve years yeah. ago. That's what it is. Yeah. It's the sudden. Okay, let's do this. And now I think, if Bobby Roode was thirty-three, you know, or even thirty-six or thirty-seven, I think you'd be talking Bobby Roode could be that kind of character. He could be someone that could come in and be a, a smackdown eight or nine month heel champion that just pulls it out and pulls it out until WrestleMania when let's say AJ Styles beats him. You know, it's it's that sort of that sort of character that's a facilitator, but you know, Bobby would be one that I'd be confident you'd be you'd get fantastic matches out of. You know, Bobby's a better wrestler than Jinder Mahal or JBL. And, you know, he would be a you know, a really perfect candidate for that. I'm not convinced they'll go with that kind of thing. And like I said, hey, listen, just doing it in NXT is a big enough. He's in a he is in the most high-profile position, and he's ever been in his career. With the greatest respect to to JB and to Impact, who we've been talking about earlier on in the show, NXT is on a much bigger level than Impact Wrestling's ever been. It just that's a fact, right? I'm sorry, I apologise to you know some of my friends in Impact that might see themselves as number two. They really aren't anymore. You know, if you if you consider NXT to be a a, a different brand. Obviously, it's under the same umbrella, but if you consider it to be a different brand, then you know that is where you know a lot more eyeballs are in terms of people that watch the product on a weekly basis and on a on a big show basis because there's a lot of people watching the network and um, you know fair play to to what they've built there. Um, but let's just say that I mean, whatever our dis- discussions may be about best match, third best match, you know, future this, turn that, what a show! I you know the, there are very few duds with the NXT takeovers, but I think the last couple have not necessarily been as as newsworthy and as, you know, set so many tongues wagging as ones before when you had, you know, real epic, you know, since, when did they do Nakamura Zayn? Was that the night after WrestleMania last year? Oh, sorry, night before WrestleMania last year? Uh, yeah, it was, And yeah. they've had a couple... My favourite takeover by a mile. Yeah, they've, they've had a couple since then which have been, you know, I don't think there's been any takeover that's not been good, but there's been a couple that just haven't been on that level but this was no. right right up there no filler you know the, the the ladies match I think I still think they sort of did a bit of a miscue at the end but generally speaking you know was of a very good quality um, 
I think Ember Moon is very, very good. And I think that she's someone that's a, a good standout. And I think they can do something with her and Asuka when she's fit, you know, as a as a head-to-head. I'd like to see that. Um, the opener was good for what it was. Um, I want to say there were six matches, or were there only five? Have I forgotten one? There were five. There were five. Uh, there were five, okay. So they were, you know, they were all... The, the worst match of the night was very good. You know? Yeah. <laughs> That's the way of looking at it, and it's like, you're going to have a great show, and... We, and Sometimes you'll have a great match and go, yeah, that was a great match, but you kind of move on and, and, you know, that's it. I think we'll have, you know, three matches that were on that show that we're going to be talking about at the end of the year. Um, and it, we don't know where people's careers are going to go, but, you know, you really look at the careers of Bobby Roode, of Johnny Gargano, of Tommaso Ciampa, of the Authors of Pain, of Tyler Bate, of Pete Dunne, and you wouldn't necessarily rule out any or all of them in you know five or ten years time maybe not ten years for Bobby of course but you know in five or ten years time having good roles and when we're doing our best of times worst of times feature <laughs> and looking back on the career of um, Tyler Bate you know when he's 29 and he's been WWE champion eight times whatever I'm, I'm exaggerating but you know I, I have a feeling these people have got long careers and this feels like the the first really big night for almost all of them you know Bobby Roode aside you know was this the night where six or seven different people really really stepped up and it's you know they'll be able to go back and say remember when and I, and I actually genuinely think that's a that's a possibility I think you're dead right and I've long learned not to write off takeovers like you said the last couple I've looked at them on paper and gone Do you know what? I'm not I'm not that fussed but they've always turned out into good events you know the, the to be fair those last two have been one match shows but bloody hell they've been incredible matches um but this one, like you say, was was very good, top to bottom. Like two, I'd say two, no, three excellent matches and two good matches. And you can't, you can't say it's so lean and strong. In fact, what I want to do, just sort of jumping ahead, we'll, we'll talk about backlash very, very briefly because I know when neither of us are too hot on it. But what I want to do, Rob, if it's all right by you, next week, I'd like to devote the podcast week to talking about NXT more generally. I know that it was a plan this week, but I think it really doesn't... We can't do it justice in the time we've got. I'd love to just have a podcast all about the strengths and, and the history and, and where we can see NXT going and just why it's such a strong brand. Is it all right by you for next week? I think I think maybe not a whole show, but certainly a segment. I don't see why we I don't see why we shouldn't spend uh, an extended amount of time talking about that. Yep, I, uh, I would concur. Cool. Good stuff. And at the same time, we've got to um, um, have a little bit of uh, some... Mick Foley, I don't think we need to do so much research, but sort of like con- uh, condense our thoughts anyway into uh, to Mick's career. But let's have a qu- let's have a quick um, uh, backlash uh, discussion. I-, I remember once hearing uh, Mick on a um, uh, on a roundtable on the Legends Round Legends Wrestling Roundtable, which you can find on the network. One of my favourite things on the network, um, and he's talking about his WrestleMania moment. You know, it's a match that we talked about when we were talking about Edge's wrestling matches. Um, we talked about Edge and Foley and the fire and the WrestleMania, you know, and Mick says, you know, um, it's all very well having a match at Backlash, but you know, no one's going to be remembered as a Backlash guy. You know, you want to be remembered as a WrestleMania guy. Well, is Jinder Mahal a Backlash guy? Is he going to have a streak where he has matches at Backlash and wins every year? Um, <laughs> one of the uh, one of the cleverest, most <laughs> creative things I did see on the internet this week was... Uh, a picture of Mahal walking to the ring and it showed him from behind <laughs> and it said back rash which I thought was uh, the most uh, rather than me most, 
most amusing. I thought it was very funny. Um, uh, but yes, I. What did you think that main event? Um, look, I thought it was a fight in church. The main event itself, although it was really poor, um, I thought it was really boring and dull. Um, and I thought it's in in isolation that well. That title has been dreadfully, dreadfully, dreadfully managed since the moment Bray Wyatt won it at Elimination Chamber. I think Bryant's, Wyatt's reign was pointless. Uh, Bray, uh, Wyatt won it at, um, on SmackDown. No, no, he won it at Elimination Chamber. Did he not, oh, who, oh, no, sorry, Cena won it on SmackDown. Cena won it. He won it in the Elimination Chamber. Cena won it at the Rumble. No, Bray, yeah. Bray Wyatt beat Cena on SmackDown. No, no, he won at the eliminate. He won inside the elimination chamber. Did he? Okay. Yeah, he did. He did. Um, and it's been and and the whole Randy Orton reign has just been one of the worst I've ever seen in my life. It's just been dreadful. So in essence, I thought the the match was poor. The event was poor. But I'm actually, I'm actually, funnily enough, I'm okay with Jinder Mahal taking the title. And the reason is. I just quite like change and I like them trying something different now and again you likened it earlier to the JBL push mm -hmm. and I think that's bang on the money I hated that push when that took place I hated it I thought it was ridiculous that they'd given this guy the title after he was a tag team perennial tag team guy for a long time I thought it was so stupid and it riled me up and guess what they got me they got me in, and, they, and I felt so angry and booed the shit out of him because of it. And then it turned out to be a great sneaky heel title run that was ultimately used to put over Cena. Um, will Jinder Mahal be at that level? We just don't know. He's not good in the ring. He's not good as a pro wrestler. But that doesn't matter. There's been plenty of guys who've had the title who are not fundamentally good pro wrestlers, and it's worked out well. It's all about what they do with it now. And if they can build heat by having this guy. You know they've got a very smart audience, a smart audience that's conditioned to love guys like Styles and Owens and Nakamura on SmackDown. How do you make them boo a guy like Kevin Owens as the champion? Well, you don't. The answer is you give it to a guy who fucking is useless in their eyes in the ring, and you watch them boo the hell out of him. It's a very meta, very modern way of doing a heel and a heel champion. And I, I'm not saying it's definitely going to work, but I applaud them for taking the chance. And and I think it's getting over it is getting over so far because the fans dislike the guy and I know notwithstanding the booze and the cheers of backlash um, people aren't happy and that will translate into wanting to see him get beaten sooner rather than later um, I wish that I'd have had the bottle during the evening because I watched in fact I actually I think I fell asleep before the main event but um, I started to watch backlash live and um, fell asleep during and then watched the rest of it the following morning but um, I wish I've had the bottle to um, put out a definitive tweet because there was a point during the evening the way that they started to tell the story at the start of the night I thought it might have even been on the pre-show the way they were telling the story I sat there going I think he's winning I think he's winning Jinder Mahal sometimes you know there's a there's a difference between what makes sense in the in the wider you know scheme of things and the story that they're telling on TV there was an incident a couple of years ago with Cena and I remember I was I kept saying Cena will win this. They go, no, no, because so and so is getting pushed, and they're changing this, and they're going to do this. They go, no, 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 Cena wins because there was just a way that they were telling the story that the hero had to prevail, and the way they were telling this story with Jinder coming up suddenly, and they 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 didn't shy away from the fact that this was a sudden, you know, he's won this match and no one expected to, and he was saying that like, no one's paying me any respect, blah 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 blah. If Orton had just beat him, 
that would have sent Mahal right back down to the bottom. It wouldn't have been a kind of, oh, at least he hung with Orton for, you know, 15 minutes. And it wasn't like the kind of, you know, Sting got a draw out of Flair, so it put Sting into the higher echelons. If Orton had beat him, Mahal would have gone right back to the start. But I sat there and went, he's winning this, you know. And then he did quite a good promo on the pay-per-view. And it solidified me, and I thought, yep, yep, he's, he's winning. And I don't necessarily have a problem with that story. What I wish they'd have done was two months ago. I wish they'd have had the idea two months ago and just had him had a decent little run of wins. Not like anything outstanding, not anything, you know, or oh, we're building up this little streak, but just every now and then, even if you're on bloody superstars or just on house shows or whatever, but just have out of the last 15 matches he'd had, he'd won nine or ten of them. Just so, or even, or have him have fewer matches, but you know, win all of them or something. Just so there was a little bit of continuity. As if, if, you're, if you're not looking close enough, you might not notice that this guy's on a bit of a roll. Don't necessarily talk about it, you know, but it could be a good point of contention now that he could stand there and point at, you know, Tom Phillips or whoever's on commentary and go, why did you never talk about the fact that I was doing well? You talked about so-and-so streak and you talk about so-and-so. Why didn't you talk about the fact that I beat this guy and this guy and this guy and this guy? They didn't do any of that. They went from him having been a stupid idiot sidekick um, with uh, Rusev. And did they did did he get drafted, Mahal? Did he did he go in the shakeup? He did. Right. Yes. Okay. So I think what's happened is that they've obviously sat down. I think they've sat down. The, the writing teams have sat down, and from what I understand, when it comes to those drafts and shakeups, is that there's generally he was being made a fool of on Raw, and whoever was running. I mean, I know Vince runs all of it, but whoever's writing Raw, you know, it's probably not necessarily a big. We'll use Mahal as comedy fodder. But there's someone sat there at SmackDown, and I bet they've been sat there for ages, going, "I like that Jinder Mahal." We could do something with him, and you know his ethnicity could be, you know, a good a good um, heel character jumping off point, as well as being a good, you know, way to exploit a foreign market where we can make some money. And you know, I think someone's been sat there with that idea on SmackDown, and then so they've sat down and gone right, shake up, who's going where? And he's gone, I've spoken up and gone, um, Vince, I'd like Jinder to be on SmackDown because I think we could do something with him. Okay, let's move, let's move Jinder. And at that point, someone's been able to go right, let's do this, 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 and this. And it's kind of worked, and it's and it's become a story. But there was no thought put into before he jumps. We'll have him do this, this, and this. It was just a sudden. He sort of changed who he who he was after after the switch. Now you could even tell the story of you know he's realised that he's got one last chance or, or whatever it might be. But I don't think they've really done enough with that. And to compare him a bit to JBL, I think even though JBL didn't have wins and wins and wins and and whatever the Bradshaw character and I know they kind of see it slightly differently which annoys me but you know Bradshaw had always been a tough son of a gun you know Justin Hawke Bradshaw was tough and Bradshaw on his own was tough and Bradshaw the Acolyte was tough and the APA were tough and it was like they might not have won a lot of matches but they were tough guys you know they were they were put over as you know people right. you wouldn't want to mess around with they've never done that with Jinder he was a comedy sidekick to the comedy Russian guy or Bulgarian guy and it's it it just didn't work, you know. It wasn't working, and they've changed it, but they've not explained the change. Whereas at least with JBL, they sort of had him come out and go, you know, I've had a change of heart, and what you don't know about me is I'm an investor and I love New York City. And he sort of ex- at least he explained his character change, and he had a little bit of credibility beforehand. That's really the only bit I don't like. I have no problem with them, you know, doing something different and, and having some fun with it. Yeah, fair point you're right maybe JBL was a bit more fleshed out and, and, the, and the change in character was very pronounced and very cool um, but hey time will tell time will tell indeed and speaking of gone, most. Say that again. 
post. Yes, indeed. And speaking of time, uh, it's a little bit against us. Um, we've uh, we've probably talked for uh, plenty enough for people for this week. So yes, as you said, we'll um, we'll do some NXT uh, fleshing out uh, next week, or at least in the next couple of weeks, and we'll um, uh, we'll try and find a, a good guest that's well versed in the. Um, in their NXT knowledge to um, to have a chat about that and indeed to have a chat about Mick Foley and his um, greatest matches, moments, etc. Um, so, been a very jam-packed podcast this week. I feel like we've covered a, an incredible amount of ground through Impact Wrestling, UK Wrestling, the career of Lex Luger, the UK title match on NXT, NXT itself, Backlash and all sorts besides. So if we, uh, if we haven't gotten to something this week, then it's not through the lack of trying, but it is through sometimes the lack of time. Um, we've not even gone into... This is normally some point we find for, um, for plugging our uh, Bruce Pritchard show or our um, live pay-per-view things. Consider it a, a, a week off from our plugging and we'll get back into it a bit more heavily next time. But just very quickly to say, Bruce Pritchard live in the UK and Ireland coming up in July. Go to Hooked On Events on Facebook and Twitter. Hooked On Wrestling on Facebook and Twitter and you can find much more information. That'll do for the plugging for this week. I'll give you a week off, Paul, in, uh, in terms of going through all of your, uh, all of your notes. I think we'll give me a week off and we'll give the audience a week off as well. I think that's fair. Indeed, but we'll uh, we'll be back to it soon. But listen, make sure you do. That doesn't mean you can uh, slack off in terms of uh, buying your ticket, especially uh, Dublin, as we pointed out last week. He's getting very, very tight already, um, not only for uh, space overall, but uh, for the VIP. So uh, get yourself on that. Right, uh, from me and Paul, um, thank you very much for listening to the Hooked On podcast this week. Thank you very much to Jeremy Borash for being a, a sterling guest. It's been excellent to catch up with him. And uh, we will see all of you next week for some more chats, including some Mick Foley best of matches. So for now, just remember, this is the Hooked On Podcast, and this is us saying, it's wrestling, enjoy it, and have a nice day.